From The Advocate Magazine, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and you're listening to LGBTQ and A. Today, I'm talking to the filmmaker River Gallo. We talk about his new film, Ponyboy, as well as about being intersex. River explains how intersex bodies are objectified by the medical community and how much anger there is from that. He also says that while intersex might sound new to us, there are records of intersex people dating back to the Greeks. So that is coming up. Now, if you enjoy the interview, please take a second to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe, rank aside stars, leave a comment. When you do those things, it is the biggest way you can help our show grow. So thank you for that. All right, without further ado, here's River. I don't usually do this, but I find that so few people are familiar with what intersex means. Yes. Do you mind just explaining what intersex is and defining it for us? Yes, for sure. So intersex is an umbrella term that encompasses uh, many conditions in which physiologically or genetically one's body doesn't typically fit under the definitions of male or female. And it's about as common as having red hair about one in 2,000 babies are born intersex. I mean, I said that many people don't know what intersex is, but I guess you tell me, like, is that correct? Yeah, completely unfamiliar with intersex. I mean, even in the LGBTQIA community, people are unaware of it, which is like, I don't know, it's kind of sad, actually. Um, It's just because it's so common. It's like, you know, if, if, if it's every time you see a person with red hair on the street... That means you've probably seen a person, you probably walked by a person on the street once a day at least. Yeah. Um, who's intersex. I mean, if I were to walk down the street uh, by you, like you right. wouldn't, you're not disclosing to everybody you walk by also. No. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, the thing about intersex people also is that some intersex people present as heterosexual cisgendered and identify as such. But because they have this biological condition, they're also part of the LGBTQIA community. When I learned about people who are intersex four or five years ago, the term that was used was ambiguous genitalia. We're yeah. kind of getting away from that, though, right? Right, right, right. Exactly. exactly. Okay. And, and why is that? Is that just because it implies like a negative connotation? Right, right, right. It implies the fact that there's a certain way that the genitalia should be. Like, it's like, oh, you know, a, a boy has to have a penis and, and testicles. But the thing is, like, naturally, gender comes as a spectrum. And doctors are trying to correct bodies in order to fit that binary male or female body. But the truth is we can exist in healthy ways without having unnecessary surgeries, without having doctors, um, without having doctors prescribe hormones to us to make us look either male or female. You know what I mean? Um, and it's usually done at a very early age during adolescence or during childhood or some even babies actually have clitorectomies. Like if their um, uh, clitoris is too large or the doctor deems it's too large, they will cut it and make it look normal as newborns. And these surgeries are cosmetic. They're not medically necessary, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for you, when did you, <laughs> when did you learn that you were intersex? So I learned I was intersex when I was 12 years old. Um, I had a normal doctor's appointment for like a cold or something. I heard my doctor whisper to my mom like, oh, when are you, you going to tell him? And I was like, what? And then my mom's like, oh, soon. And I was like, what? 
like, what are you guys talking about? And then I went into this whole like existential crisis. I thought I was going to die. I thought I was like, and we finally had an, another appointment where they like broke the news to me. And he just kind of said, you were born without testicles. Um, you're going to have to start going through testosterone therapy to go through puberty. When I, then when I was a sophomore in high school, I had testicular implants put in me, which was a cosmetic surgery. I didn't need to have plastic. It was plastic surgery. I didn't need to have fake balls put into me. That was just like to make me look like a man. You also didn't like request that, right? No, I didn't request it. And it was like, this was just the protocol and like no other options were given to me. And I was just like, oh. and my parents were, you know, Salvadorian immigrants. Like they just, you know, English was their second language. They were just like, okay, like doctor's orders will do exactly what you say. Um, and I obviously didn't know anything. So I just went through with it all. So when did it become this thing that you now center? Uh, so I came to LA, uh, to work on films and stuff, to go to film school at USC. And I wrote this movie, Pony Boy, um, that turned out being kind of about that experience, sort of. And while writing it, I realized I just wanted to look up my condition more because I had it in a few years. So I was like, well, I just knew I had this thing. So I was just like, let me Google <laughs> internet. <laughs> And then I found like this Vogue article, um, about Hannah Gabby, this, this model that's, you know, open about being intersex and, and, um, pigeon, the intersex activist. And I was like, Oh my God, this is something that's like happening. And it's like wild that like these people are brave and they're just like, <laughs> the, the thing about being intersex is it's difficult because it's like very soon after you say you're intersex, you're going to have to tell your story. It, just when you're speaking to someone, because it's like, oh, okay, it's many conditions in the real term. Okay, well, well, how are you intersex? So it's like almost like leading with the most intimate parts of your body at the get go. Well, thinking about gender is like in the news a lot lately. Right, right And right. our understanding of gender now encapsulates the thought that your biology doesn't dictate it. Your genitals um, don't have to dictate your gender. Right. And yet- with The trans inter- movement. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's and how you identify. When you identify as intersex, mm-hmm. we actually are talking about your body. Yes, we're talking about literally what we were born with. Our parts, you know, our, you know- Like you said, it's and it's intimate. It's very intimate. I mean, it's the stuff you're told not to talk about. <laughs> I've talked so much about my fake balls this year alone that it's like I never imagined in my whole life that I would. But now, like, at parties, I'm like, do you want to poke them? Like, they're just, like, these things there. And, like, you know, they're cool, I guess. I mean, like, talking about talking about that here with, with yeah. me, talking about it with doctors and your parents, have you experienced, like, a desexualization? Definitely. As intersex people, the amount of times that we're told to, like, stripped down to like be examined, have medical students look at us. Like it's just every intersex person has stories of these where their their bodies were objectified by the medical community. And that's why we have like this like anger and this like rage kind of because it's like you guys didn't have our best interests in mind. It was a system that was kind of like wanted to normalize us and wanted to, you know, not understand us for who we were or inherently that there was something wrong with us that like we were born with something wrong and new research shows that you could literally live a healthy lives as the body that you're naturally an intersex body i mean we think about 
like gender and one's sex as is binary. Yeah. And now we know there's also like non-binary people, people yeah. all across the spectrum. So it's also fascinating to know that our actual physical bodies exist on a spectrum too. Yeah, definitely. At a large scale yeah. of people. And it exists in nature is the thing. I mean, flowers are mostly intersex. 90% of them are. Um, so it's like, wait a minute, like it exists in the animal, in the plant world, like it exists in the animal world. Animals are also born with, you know, some are born intersex. Like why as humans are we deciding that we need to normalize that? Also, it sounds like when the doctors told you about this condition you had, it was presented as a quote-unquote problem that only you had, right? It wasn't yes. introduced to you as there's many people like you. No, 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 no. Not at all. Not at all. And so it kind of reinforces this idea of being alone and just kind of rare and like, I mean, it, it is rare if you look at it, you know, on a grand, big on the big picture, but like... Yeah, and I mean, now thanks to social media and stuff, there's, like, an active, like, community. Um, and, it, yeah, it's so cute. Like, it's, like, there's all these internet friends I have, and I'm, like, they're my intersex family. But, I mean, it's, it's it, we do feel like family. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So when did you yourself learn the word intersex? Uh, last year. Really? Last year, yeah. Last April when I was doing this research and then I was Googling and then I was like, cause I, the condition that I have is called anorchia or vanishing testes syndrome, which I kind of like, cause it sounds like a magic bag. It's like, shoom. <laughs> um, Magical queer person. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized that it was a one of many terms in, in the whole, or one of many conditions in the whole intersex uh, canon. That's a while to be, just online and discovering a term that you are. Yeah, it's very, very much so. And you said you've like met with so many doctors in the medical community and to have it never told to you. Yeah. That's a that's like a failing. Yeah, literally. Well, the thing is the doctors in, I don't know when this was, essentially the term that they used before intersex was disorders of sexual development. The intersex community kind of uh, had backlash towards that because it was you know, using the word disorder again. There was something wrong. So intersex has become kind of a political statement. And I think that's what um, has driven it to now people being outwardly identifying as intersex because inherently by telling people you are, it becomes a political act because no one knows what it is. So it's just like, you know, if I tell one person what it is a day, I feel like, or if anybody does, please do. Everyone tell one person a day um, what it means. It's really, you know, it's just, Oh, it'll take the shame out of being intersex, you know, if just people just know that we exist and know that it's normal. It's a fascinating medical tradition that intersex people follow in terms of like gay people and trans people that it was a medical problem that was like a diagnosed. Right. You know, when in reality, it's not a, in, oh, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I guess all our whole community actually thinking of it that way we have a history of like uh, the medical system thinking we're we're a problem and it's we almost have this like wound in all of us yeah and because you were meeting with doctors and not knowing that you're part of the community you yeah. just kind of internalize and think this is one thing that only i have wrong with me quote unquote wrong exactly yeah so no discovering this about your body yeah did that, did that change your relationship to your own gender? 
Yeah. I mean, I guess, yes, you know what? It did. It really did. Because when I was, when I was in my undergrad, I, you know, I wore makeup sometimes. Like I would like, you know, I was constantly like, you know, in looks and stuff, but I'd always go through these swings of like, where I was just like, really like, you know, flamboyant or whatever. And like, really would just like, be feeling myself. And then sometimes these moments where I was just like, no, like I need to be more masculine or I need to like be dress more conservatively, conservatively. Then I, being intersex now makes me feel like, hey, I, I truly feel sometimes feminine and truly feel masculine sometimes. And I could wake up and feel and dress or be whoever I want to be that day. And I usually I feel like equally, um, you know, the feminine mass, like it really energetically lives equally inside of me. And I think a lot of intersex people feel that way too. Um, that it's just kind of like, we could literally see kind of both sides of, yeah, of that like feminine masculine dynamic. So I think being open, uh, being intersex has really taught me that like, it's okay to hold both of those things e equally and have them mean equal things to you and that you don't have to, uh, you know, try to be one or the other. You could just be what I want to be. <laughs> Going back to your film, Ponyboy, yeah. B-O-I. Yes. yes, yes, yes. Emma Thompson oh. <laughs> and Stephen Fry are producers. Yes, yes, yes. How does a recent film grad get those people attached to their first film? Oh, it was it was wild. I met um, Seven, Seven Graham, uh, who's become a collaborator and a dear friend of mine, who's an, an intersex comedian and was the first openly, first intersex person to be public about being intersex on live tv like they, they had a coming out essentially on a news broadcast um so wait that's really incredibly pioneer that's so in the, in, recent re, yeah i forget what year they said it, 2008 or 2009 so the first person to ever say they were intersex on uk television they came they now live in los angeles and we met through a friend in the comedy world and they came on board to be my producer and um, shortly after a friend of them asked to be, to go, to virtually go to the Royal Academy of Arts in London for a talk that Stephen Fry was doing about, or a panel that Stephen Fry was doing about inter, um, being intersex and a new book that he wrote about um, Greek mythology and intersex deities in Greek mythology. Because um, it goes back, it goes like... There's been intersex people since, yeah, like Greek times um, and like revered goddesses and gods. And we have that recorded. Yes. Oh, tell me this. Wait, um, did we used to call intersex people hermaphrodites? Yes, yes, yes. Is, because that, that's the goddess, hermaphrodite. Oh, is yes. that now derogatory? Some intersex people are taking it back and like actually the term because of that kind of, Ro the, that kind of Roman Greek Oh. Um, you know, kind of lineage and history that it's like, these are gods that we're talking about. But it did become, so, but some intersex people also think it's uh, derogatory. So it's like, it's weird. That's a powerful lineage. Yeah, very much so. Wow. But anyway, so Stephen wrote this book. So Seven invited me to virtually Skype into this panel at this college. And then we met Stephen there virtually because he was also Skyping in. And we had this beautiful conversation about being intersex and what that means for humanity to understand themselves a little bit more that, you know, we are, we do occur on a spectrum. And uh, there's so many variations and iterations of what it means to be human that, you know, it only 
behooves us to really like investigate those versions that haven't been looked at before. So he came on board to be the executive producer and um, he like asked Emma Thompson, if, who were their dear friends since like high college. Um, they're on the same like comedy team together. Um, they, yeah, and she said, I'm in. What do you hope Pony Boy will leave with the audience? The thing is, I, I want the story to like really, something I'm very conscious of um, is telling the story of this person's life, not being like, hey, everybody, this is an intersex person, um, you know, even though it's, it's, you know, hard when it's like, this is the first film being done ever that has an intersex person in a narrative played by an intersex person written and directed by an intersex person. That's just, it's never happened before in cinema. And it's kind of been a bold statement to kind of take on, but I've just been really conscious of like really um, just telling the story for, for the heart of what it is for the pain that this, you know, that pony boy like goes through every day of just kind of like thinking he, you know, thinking his happiness is outside of himself, that it's in drugs or it's in sex work. It's in a guy that's going to take him out of New Jersey. It's like all these things that are so external. And then finally realizing that, no, like the happiness is within him and with the acceptance and love of his own body and his past. Um, and that's something that it's not an intersex story. I feel that's an every person story. I think that people's like, not even frustrations. I don't want to label it like, your body frustration yeah. but people being identifying parts of their body that like don't fit in society or the yeah. way they want it to like look or be is like an incredibly universal experience oh yes oh my god yeah i mean the other day i was like walking into the gym in like west hollywood and um i was like wonder what i'd look like with lip injections i love my lips but like also like the idea just like I think in the social media culture, like we just see so many like images of people and what beauty is. So it's kind of so easy to have that like filter of like, I'm not good enough today. Of course. Where do you see representations of intersex people on TV or film? There is none. Um, I can name one. It was a faking it on MTV. Yes. Amanda. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm friends with them. And she, she, or them. So yeah, they, yeah. And they were in one episode only. Yes. 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 It was kind of like a special character, just like a bloop on intersex. Right. It's like very sad that like we can only name one person from one episode of TV. Yeah. There was, there's been a few films. There's been a few documentary films. Um, there's been one narrative film, I think. I think that also people, they know intersex stories, like Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides was right. a massive popular yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. And that was an intersex character. Mm -hmm. But I did not even realize it was intersex until years later. Right, right, right. And uh, yeah, now it's controversial. Or some people think it's controversial. Some people think it's also a great book. But um, he wrote it as a cisgendered man. And also, um, he didn't have any consultation with the intersex community. Not to say that was wrong. I, I don't have an opinion about it. But I kind of, it just goes to say kind of like the idea of our body. Any intersex story that has been told has been told not by intersex people. The few that have. That's a great um, point. So it's just kind of like, you know. I guess I'm just thinking of like for people who think like, oh, intersex, that's a new word. It's like, yeah, for you it is, but it's also you have had experience with like these stories. Right, right, right. I mean, even if, if it's not been told the way we want. Yeah, definitely. 
definitely. I, I mentioned it traditional forms of media, but also you said online there's a really strong community. Definitely, yeah. How did you find them initially? I they found you. <laughs> no, I, Google. Like, well, I found, well, Interact is like this, uh, the biggest or the, and the only um, intersex youth activism or activist group in, in the United States. They provide like just the clearest information and like just everything through Instagram as well, like just have formed a community of like where we, we like know of each other from across the world and stuff. Um, That's powerful. Yeah, very much so. I think too, like we spent so much time in the beginning of this interview talking about being intersex. Yeah. And that is because it is new to people. And right. like the goal is in a couple of years, like, you know, someone who's intersex is being interviewed and like it comes up maybe once. Right, right, You know, right. it's not the focus of these interviews. I know. I mean, we started this interview and I, I was know. like, oh, God, again. But no, and I'm happy to do so. And I unfortunately um, think that like that's where we are at in terms of society's yeah, understanding. Definitely. And it's unfortunate. But like, thankfully, you are like sharing and willing. Yes. Um. Some days it's it's really hard. Some days it's like, you know, some days... I've been talking to people about sometimes it's hard to know where the line is of what you keep for yourself and like what you tell people. But every time I tell people, I'm like, no, it's, it's for the greater good that I do. So it's almost felt like kind of a spiritual calling to just kind of keep just, you know, being vocal about my identity and about who I am and about my story. Um, and I think a lot of intersex people jive with that too, of just kind of like, you know, that passion, it comes from a place of just wanting to change the world and for, for the world to understand us for who we really are. And representation is so small that we need people right, <laughs> like you yeah, to, to start the conversation. Right, right, right. Yeah, Definitely. Another identity that you mentioned is that your family is from El Salvador. They're El immigrants. Salvador. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How has the recent like rhetoric that's happening in the country around immigration affected your family? Oh man, I mean it's 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 hit me really hard because like I look at those kids in those in those prisons and because um, let's call them what they are prisons and I was like, wow, if that was 20 years ago or almost 30 years ago when my parents came in the 80s, that would have been me in a prison. Has it changed how your family thinks about America? Yeah, no, there's a definitely, there's a definite sense right now of just like, is this the America that we signed up for? Is this like, you know, they're so thankful because their life in El Salvador would have been completely different. Um, because of the civil war at the time that they, that they left in the eighties. So yeah, but there's definitely a sense in, you know, the Latinx community that like our voices matter now more than ever, especially queer Latinos. Cause it's like kind of being attacked on very two different sides right now by this administration, by being queer and by, you know, being brown. And these sentiment, like, and immigration is so much at the forefront of the news right now, but these anti-immigrant sentiments are not new by any means. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Oh, my God. No, no, no. Yeah. I was actually thinking about, like, 
So my mom is more like European, like Spanish looking, and my father's uh, more indigenous, like Mayan looking. And I remember, and my sisters and my brother, we've got kind of like mixed, um, we're lighter skinned than my dad. And so growing up, it was really hard, like seeing like the prejudice that my father went through, um, you know, seeing oh God, like hearing him getting called a wetback sometimes, like, like really awful shit. Um, uh, police officers stopping him because they didn't believe he lived in the house that we live in. It's it's a hard it's a hard time right now, and I I, I just feel like now more than ever we just um, within within our communities, within brown communities, within you know queer communities, we just we really have to develop love with each other, and you know and support of each other across different communities to really rise up against what's happening right now because it's truly terrifying and it's it's serious. The future depends on it. I really do believe that. I agree. Yeah. Before I let you go, can you tell me the significance significance between your tattoos? It's on your hands. It says yes. dream baby or dream, baby dream. Dream baby. <laughs> but I got baby first. So baby, um, I don't know why I got baby, to be honest. I just did. And I really liked it. And then uh, my chiropractor, such an LA story. My chiropractor was like, oh, like, what are you going to get on your other hand? Like, you need something to, like, match it. And he was like, what about crybaby? I was like, no, not really. And then my favorite, I'm so Jersey, my favorite, one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen songs is Dream Baby Dream. So I decided to get Dream on the other side. That is so funny. Amazing. Well, thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. appreciate it. Yeah. And that's our show. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, please tell your friends. We have new interviews with the most interesting and influential members of the LGBTQ community every week. I also want to say that with the midterms coming up, GLAAD is here to help you amp your voice. They're making it easier than ever to access the tools you need to vote and to speak out on the issues that matter. To learn more and make sure your voice is heard, go to glad.org slash amp your voice. We are broadcasting from the Advocate Magazine studios in Los Angeles. The Advocate is the longest running LGBT news magazine in the country. They were founded in 1967. Special thanks to them, to our old home After Buzz TV, to our partners at Panoply, Jason McMurdy, and everyone for listening. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'll see you next week.